What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest. Out with me in Las Vegas, soon to be hosting me at his house for Monday Night Football, is Matt Morris. What is up, dude? I'm stoked for coming. Good. Yep. Uh, I made six months, Matt. Six months. I'm really proud of myself. I hadn't been gotten sick in six months. After those of have loyal listeners have listened to us for a while, you know, I was struggling about once a month getting sick. Um, went to see a chiropractor. He gave me some really nice holistic medicine that I think was ridiculous. And my wife this week called me out on for how many times are you going to get sold by these people? Uh, but it's been working. So here we are today where I am sick. It is a seasonal change in Las Vegas. I would rather be sick today than next week when we have Packers Raiders in town. So get it out of the way. I'm all right with that. But uh, yeah, man, you know, slept a lot today. Woke up middle of the Brewer game. Just watched the disappointing performance, um, which I think I I assumed was going to happen. So did you. You know, we we know this roster construction. We know this team. Uh, we know what David Stearns did to this team over the past five, six, seven years that he has been at the helm. Um, so yeah, man, a little disappointed about that, but like overall, like things are good. We got Dame Miller. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, I think I just call him Dame Miller. You, know? you did. You that's, did. That's where my head's at today, Matt. Yeah, you're good. We're so uh, we'll we'll see if we get we'll see if we get a good fifty out of this. We're, I mean, we're just going to jump right into it. But yeah, uh, as long as you're last thing we'll say for the open in quotes open today is uh, as long as you're good to pick me up at the airport nine a.m. Sunday, so then we can watch football and then go to the Packer game Monday. Um, you, you just get it figured out. Smoke, yeah. snort, lick, chew, swallow that holistic medicine, whatever you're doing over there. And, um, well, you know, you probably, you, I got five Tuesday. days. You got I'm plenty solid. of time. I'm you do good, have to go yeah. back to work this week, but you've got plenty of time. You got plenty of time. Um, let's just dive right into it. Uh, I know you wanted to talk about the bills first, but it's a little bit easier of a transition to talk about plenty of time or lack thereof for the bears. Um, we're just going to start there. We've been banging the drum a little bit with Chicago throughout the season and the offseason. Obviously, we're Packer fans. We're probably not going to talk about the Packers today, everyone. There you go. Um, but the Bears looked fantastic for two and a half quarters, and it all fell apart for them at the end, and they moved to 0-4, now own the top two picks in the NFL draft for 2024, which is a, is a highlight. But I think the bigger story is here is... Justin Fields actually looked like the quarterback we thought he could be. Now, I know it's against the Denver Broncos, and the Denver Broncos just gave up 70 points to Miami, but my argument to that is, well, at least he looked good, right? Because if he didn't show out and show up against the Miami Dolphins, I think we were all really going to start writing off Justin Fields. But to me, I'm just going to go out there and straight up say it. It looks like this is a blatant tank job by the Chicago Bears. Their season is over. Their front office is clearly out of it for this season. And I think the head coach is actively working to not make Justin Fields succeed so they could end up trading him and moving on to Caleb Williams or one of these guys here um, in the draft, but obviously preferably Williams and then Marvin Harrison Jr. if they can secure the top two spots in the draft. Yeah, when you were talking about that this past weekend, I, I was kind of upset with it because... This is really the benchmark, at least for me, for this season to really see who the Bears are, right? I think you have to compare teams that are in similar um, likeness in a current season and, and evaluate them based off that. And Denver has underwhelmed this season, but the Bears came out and really smashed them into the ground for the first two and a half quarters. <clears throat> and I think that Fields fumble 
late in the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly, it was yeah. just a really bad play. I mean, he was careless with the ball and like, you know, you can you can be frustrated with that and that's a learning opportunity. But I mean, if, if you consider the Bears in Denver to be kind of in the same classification here, like the Bears were clearly the better team. They also clearly had the better quarterback in this game. I've got six or seven games on the Bears schedule this year, which are going to be like another tent pole game for them. And one of them is coming up this weekend. I kind of call it the the six seven fringe, which is the Commanders. Like, do we see Justin Fields go out there and perform well yet again? Do they get a victory against the Commanders, or do the Commanders try and find some consistency, which we haven't seen all season for them? I mean, they almost beat the Eagles, but then yeah. you have the Raiders in Week Seven for the Bears. They are going to be playing the Raiders at home in Chicago. That'll be another really big game for them to test it out. You have Minnesota the week before. I think Minnesota should come in there and take care of business, but. Their record isn't really, you know, anything to ride home on either. And a really, really big game. Week 10, you have Carolina um, at home. Like, that is both of those teams. Caleb are Williams tr- Bowl. Yeah, yeah, Caleb Williams Bowl, really. But the Bears have both of the picks. So win or lose of that game, you're only benefiting yourselves. But I think that's the next really big game for us to see the development of fields. Also to see where this organization is going because – uh, I had said to you, this was just the last game I wanted to see them bail on him. This was also the last game where I wanted to see an, an evident tank job where you finally were like, hey, there's something to be excited about. There's something to look at the development and say, no, he's definitely an NFL starting quarterback. We've seen those flashes. That's why we came into the season with as much excitement as a um, national media circuit as we had. It's because like we've seen a few here and there of, of fields and like this was another one this this time it was through the air some absolute beautifully thrown balls oh, yeah. a lot of velocity and it's like it is there does he showcase that the rest of the season uh you have week 16 17 and 18 that's going to be Arizona Atlanta and Green Bay those are going to be the biggest three games of his season because of the, they're going to be the games that are either showcasing to other teams that want to trade for him or it's going to be the Bears solidifying that yes he is our quarterback and we will trade out of that first pick yet again to continue to acquire assets for the future. Yeah, I think if they have the first pick, there's no doubt they're passing up on Williams. Um, they're not going to pass up on Williams, excuse me. I, I just think at this point, Matt, he's probably better than Justin Fields, Caleb Williams, right? And I think worst case scenario, you end up with the same type of guy not having to pay that contract for three or four more years if you are the Bears sitting in that number one draft spot. And, you know, this was the big thing when they brought in the new regime to Chicago was, are they all in on Justin? Cause Justin isn't their guy. Right. So, um, well, it, it's really, it's really unfortunate. You know, it, it's just, it's a bummer to see this. I mean, it looked clear as day that they were tanking on Sunday. Like that's, that's my take at the end of this. And it's just a bummer to see four weeks into the season with a guy who I'm, I'm not out on Justin Fields. Like I'm still buying stock there. I think if you send him to a team like Tampa, like Atlanta, um, I don't know, some of these other teams that are looking for a quarterback, the first teams that come to mind for me are Tampa and Atlanta, right? They're both going to fiddle, finish middle of the road, have good rosters, have a good system. We're going to get to Baker Mayfield, um, a team that believes in him. I think he's going to be fine still. Well, and Matt, you brought up a great point. I mean, there are so many things I want to kind of like branch off here. Um, but I want to hit home on Atlanta really quick. Fields was, if I am correct, he was Georgia's number one prospect as well as nationally. And yeah. he went to Georgia first before transferring to Ohio State. Again, if I if if memory serves correct, me you're correct. Right. Um, in Atlanta, they have the offensive line. They have the running game. They have the pieces. 
from a weapon perspective on the offense with London and Pitts to give him a boost from what he has had with Komet as well as DJ Moore. Now, I think DJ Moore is probably better than London, but like at the end of the day, Atlanta is a much better position for fields. And I'm going to circle right back to that offensive line because look what we watched this weekend and, and, and Monday night. We saw Zach Wilson finally be able to fall into a system given just enough time where it was like, damn, he looks pretty good. You're like, holy shit, this kid might actually be able to stick in the NFL if he can replicate this kind of production week to week. But then you go complete 180 with the other New York team that I think was the most pathetic football I have ever watched. <laughs> like I couldn't even evaluate Daniel Jones because by the time the ball was in his hands, he had 15 guys on top of him just humping him. Um, I mean, it was like 11 <laughs> or 12 sacks. Like he got the ball and all of a sudden he just started straight running backwards because the offensive line just decided not to, to play. Um, I don't know what Neil is doing. Like this is one of the most disappointing draft picks I can remember on the offensive line. I thought he was going to be an absolute no brainers, like stardom day one, no problem at all. He just looks like he's been smoking heroin out there. Um, and I, and I bring this up because it's like, we have said this all year with Justin, like the offensive line is a concern. There are problems. I think it was a unanimous consensus last year that Daniel Jones was a starting NFL quarterback. Well, after watching Monday, you would have people that said absolutely not. It's like, well, no, it's the offensive line yet again. So I think we got to trace this all the way back to the Tua conversation where it's like, we got to be patient with these guys. We've got to be patient with Fields. We've got to be patient with Will, um, Zach Wilson. And I think Fields may just be an be do a, a transitional switch like if i'm atlanta right now i'm offering my first round pick for him because i think he can probably win five six seven games for us when ritter maybe not yeah 100 percent, dude i mean yeah so i lost my train of thought while i was thinking about teams but like i'm just scrolling through the games like tennessee titans you don't tell me that you're, you're telling me they wouldn't take a chance on fields either um even the washington commanders we like Howell, but i'm taking fields over him um, but what is taking the, the a Raiders, shot for Matt, you? You know, is that like, is that a first round pick or is that a second round pick? Like, what are you for willing Justin to give up right now? Yeah. Um, d- depending on my situation, right? Um, if I'm like the Arizona Cardinals per se, I'd give up my second round pick for sure okay. this year, considering that they got rid of theirs. Um, you know, if I'm the Oakland Raiders, I'd give up my second round pick for him a hundred percent. Do you what, think what, that's enough? Whatever. Though? I don't. You got to think. Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I, no, no, no. I get what you're saying. The The reason <laughs> I'm not sure is because it would have to be a second round pick and a fully max contract as well. Right. Like, or at least something, it'd have to be Daniel Jones range, you know, because um, the bears are obviously not willing to pay. So they're not going to pay that. It is just from everything that I'm seeing here from them. If I'm Atlanta, if I'm the Raiders, if I'm Tennessee, if I'm the Falcons, I, I'm giving up the second in the contract for fields. Yeah. Second and maybe a second next year's second, um, a second and a fourth or a fifth. You know, I, I don't think it's going to take. If you're willing to give up a second, I don't think it'll take much more than that for some of these teams that I'm mentioning specifically. I mean, you bringing the context into the Max deal, right? And we throw Max deal out there with the context again of I think forty million a year, thirty five million a year. That's like that's going rate for like you said, Daniel Jones, which is a great right. comment there. I think that's the really important factor in in the situation. But from a context perspective, and I'm thinking about the Bears yet again, they gave up the 32nd overall pick 
for a Chase guy Claypool. that we yeah. ha- that I hate on this show and have hated for years. And we even said like, damn, they gave up a lot when they made that deal. And it's like, if you think about it from like the hindsight perspective, it's like they could pre- presumably give up Justin Fields for like, let's just say pick 47, right? Maybe he, they trade him to Atlanta and Atlanta is a fringe playoff team, doesn't get in and they get the 15th pick in the draft. And it's like, so you gave up Justin Fields for 47 and you got, you got Chase Claypool for 32, like yikes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. But again, the money's important because, you know, like you said, Atlanta's going to have to be like, well, we're going to pay this guy. We don't know if he's the guy. So you're not getting anything of real significant value in the first round from us. Because I wouldn't. Raiders, possibly the Caleb Williams Bowl, right? Like um, Titans as well. Like they could presumably win two games this season. I I think more, but like hasn't really shown it to us on a week to week basis. And I I just don't think you give up a top 10 for Wilson or for, uh, for fields, excuse me. Yeah, no, I wouldn't give up top 10. I I agree with you. I I think that early second would be the going rate. We'll have to see as it, as it transpires. I think that's something we got to monitor. I I did want to touch on Danny Jones. I don't want to jump on exactly what you said, because I I totally agree with you. It's not a hundred percent fair to blame him for the loss uh considering he got sacked 10 11 times something like that um what i do want to jump on is the fact that sometimes in the national media guys like you and i who do podcasts like this and you know just your your, your general internet content is right and i i think we were right in thinking that the giants should have overpaid for saquon barkley he's clearly their most valuable player give him the three-year deal, give him the 12, 13 million a year, knowing that he's probably going to get injured. But at the end of the day, like he is your MVP and put Danny Jones on a franchise tag for one more year because we need to see what he's worth. And at this point and at the rate, the Giants are going with their upcoming schedule, Matt, they might not win five games, which is going to put them just at the threshold of outside of the top quarterback options in this year's draft class and unlike the bears and justin fields they're locked in now they have him under contract for a few years so what's the going rate for danny jones who wants to pay that uh, that draft pick and that contract that's an even bigger question than justin fields matt and i think it all goes back to the decision that they made at the end of this year or excuse me at the beginning of this year when they said nope we're going to commit to daniel jones not saquon I was nervous on how that would transpire. It's clearly not worked out for them at the beginning of this season. And it's looking like the team is slowly starting to turn on Danny and crazily Dayball a little bit. It's early on that, but still. Yeah. I mean, Dayball just, I don't, I don't know what's going on, Matt, because they have some really decent pieces on that offensive line and they're just, playing. they're playing like children. Um, and Danny also doesn't have any weapons currently on the field. I think that's a big problem. Like, you know, the, I think the rebuttal to that would be, well, he has Darren Waller. I'm sorry. Darren Waller hasn't been good in three years. Darren Waller is a shell of He's the average. dynamic yeah. player. He was, uh, when he burst onto the scene, the wide receiving core is underwhelming and Saquon's been out. And I think Daniel Jones is definitely the quarterback that you underpay, but you commit to if you have the weapons around him to elevate his game. You have the offensive line that will buy him time. Like this is the same argument I made for Baker Mayfield three weeks ago that we're starting to really see kind of come to fruition in you know in in Tampa, where it's like, is he going to win you a Super Bowl? No, 
he might help get that trophy though he might be the guy that's just good enough not to make those two mistakes in a game but you got to put a lot around him a lot around him and the money's already allocated i mean 40 million dollars a year for daniel jones is too much we mm -hmm. said that when he signed and i just don't know how they bring in more talent to to make him better until that contract runs up because as we've been seeing, you just don't find dynamic wide receivers on the free agent market anymore. You have to trade for them or you have to draft them. And Daniel Jones is in dire need of one or two dynamic wide receivers and his star running back to be playing on a regular basis. And he needs that offensive line to play at a level that is considered professional play. Um, I, I don't know what the Giants are going to do. This It makes me sick for their fan base because they're stuck in purgatory, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. They're, I think it's a little worse than purgatory, to be honest, because unlike a team like the Vikings who've been stuck with Kirk Cousins, in quotes, stuck, at least they have the weapons and they're going out there and winning. Um, yeah, the Giants are in a really interesting spot. I'm glad you brought up Baker because I wanted to move on to him um, too today. And just honestly, I, I want to give my formal apology to the Buccaneers coming into the season and everything that we were doing preseason prep. I was like, oh, yeah, the Bucks are definitely a lock for a top five pick. This division is going to run through Derek Carr and the New Orleans Saints. <sighs> Dead wrong. Dead wrong. That was probably my biggest whiff thus far early in the season was how I thought the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were going to look this season. Um, and it starts and stops with Baker Mayfield. Obviously, we know they have one of the best defenses in the league and all those guys um, took Tom Brady and the disrespect from Internet trolls like me um, seriously. But it's Baker Mayfield's play. His lack of turnovers poor decision making and his true leadership is showing right now which is really cool and it's something i think we all knew baker had you had just mentioned it we know he's not a super bowl winning quarterback right but he is a great leader and he's a good locker room guy and he actually has a system down there in tampa that believes in him and he's getting godwin and mike evans the ball and he's not doing anything to lose the game and they're staying in it and closing out decent teams um obviously in that NFC South, but throughout some of their other uh, competition, uh, beating the Saints on the road this week, 26 to nine is, is no easy feat, even with an injured Derek Carr. Um, shout out to Baker and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're, it's their division to lose. And to be honest, at this point from four weeks of football, I don't expect them to. They look far and away the best team in the NFC South right now. Well, and Matt, I, th I think... I think guys like Baker, they as we talked about a few weeks ago, they have the role in this league. You know, like we see it usually not work out the way it's working out for Baker. We usually see it underwhelm and we see the guys officially relegated to the backup role. But Baker has come in, essentially, in my opinion, solidified himself as a starter in this league. He'll be he, after this five game stretch. If he can continue this for, let's say, two thirds of the season where he has a couple of hiccups here and there. Like you're gonna tell me that a team like the New York Jets won't bring him in as a as a, a backup to Aaron Rodgers next year, or you could have him possibly go and play in New York if Daniel Jones never signed that contract because he's a probable upgrade over what Daniel Jones has has showed us this season. Like Baker's role as that, hey, it didn't work as the first overall pick in Cleveland. Let me go to the Rams, have one unbelievable 99-yard drive. But other than that, kind of underwhelmed, <laughs> left us thinking that Baker's career is over. Like This will be his last shot as a starter. It won't go well. And Baker, for the rest of his career, will be the Sam Darnold. And I say Sam Darnold with a lot of conviction there because I think Sam Darnold 
could easily step in and play similar to Baker if given the opportunity, possibly next year if he leaves the 49ers. And I'm curious to watch as this continues where it's like we have the defense, we have a couple great weapons in Mike Evans and Godwin, as you had mentioned. Um, the running back really has underwhelmed this season. That's a different conversation here. But mm-hmm. Baker was put in a position to be successful, and he's being successful. And we shit on a bunch of these other guys, again, back to Sam Darnold, where it's like, what did they really have around them, though, when they were given the opportunity? Um, and Baker, for the most part in his time in Cleveland, like up until the acquisition of Amari Cooper, didn't also have that many weapons outside of his running back. So just to kind of like wrap this all home, I, I'm happy for Baker. I think this is the perfect prototype for what um, like rejuvenating your career looks like. Put yourself in a good position, good organization with good players around you and go out there and kind of limit the mistakes that you've made in your career. And boom, all of a sudden you're back to being a starting quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, 100 percent. Right. And you go around the league. There's not a ton of guys like that right now that I see. But as I was just going through my notes and looking at some of the scores um, from last week, I'm starting to lean that way a little bit with a guy like Mac Jones. I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, They played on Sunday night football. And so I got to focus all my attention on that game. And I was like, you know what? He's making mistakes. He's a little frazzled back there. But his best guy is Kendrick Bourne. And he's in a team that is completely defensive minded and a pretty tough market out there in Massachusetts. That's, you know, hard on their guys. But I mean, you give him a Mike Evans, a Chris Godwin, right? You plug him in to the Raiders per se. And you've got Devontae Adams, Jacoby Myers, and give these guys a little bit of weapons. Like I have, you, we brought up Darnold a few times now. I have zero doubt that if Purdy went down, Darnold couldn't pick yep. up the slack just as good, if not a tad bit worse than uh, Brock Purdy right now. Yep. I think Darnold will be electric if he gets in the game for San Francisco just because of the system that he's in. And it's not Carolina and the New York Jets when they were literally two of the worst five teams in football for the six years he was in the league, right? Um, You see this all the time. And like last year to kind of put a bow on all this was it was the Geno Smith show. We just saw it last night on Monday Night Football. They had talked about his journey, how he came from the Jets. Now he's here in Seattle doing great. Like Baker Mayfield is the Geno Smith of this season right now. And if it wasn't for DeMar Hamlin, who's obviously going to win comeback player of the year for obvious reasons, which is fine, on a football level, the comeback player of the year right now is by far Baker Mayfield, especially if they win this division, man. Well, and and I think that brings up a really good like roster construction point. And we'll all swing all the way back to the New York Giants that we talked about where they're gonna meddle just enough to have that like five, six, <laughs> seven, eight pick, right? Where um, you know, I think is it is it Mayo or uh, May? Is May the second quarterback yeah, projector off the May board? Drake from, May uh, North Carolina. North Carolina. Uh, so he'll be gone, right? Uh, I think Saunders will probably already be off the board if he chooses to come out uh, from Colorado. So you're looking at like, okay. The kid from like, Texas is probably the next best Quinters. kid. Um, and I like him, but at the rate he's humming right now, if Texas if Texas goes undefeated, if they make the playoff, and this kid is is balling the way he's balling. Sorry to interrupt you, but like he's, he's going to be top three. There's yeah. no way he's making it out of the top five. Um, my point though, Matt, is like, start drafting a roster. How many times do we have to have this conversation where it's like, oh, we got the eighth or ninth pick, like, screw it. We're going to give up assets and we're going to move up. And 
they can sit behind Daniel Jones and then we'll cut him once his cap hit isn't as devastating as it would be at cutting him in, into the 2024 season. It's like, no, how about you go and draft the next best wide receiver, right? Like, how about you draft the best left tackle on the board right now? Uh, once you draft a tight end, the kid from Georgia, like really give Danny Jones a weapon. And if Danny Jones isn't the answer, well, you know what? That tight end from Georgia going into his second year will really benefit the rookie quarterback that you draft. And I just, I think about Sam Darnold and, and the struggles that he had in New York. And it's like, he never really had great players around him. And then going into Carolina, he went 4-0 with Christian McCaffrey before that injury. We were all saying, oh, wow, this is exactly what we expected from Sam Darnold. Yeah. That shit got away from him real fast as soon as Christian McCaffrey went out because it really was a poor offensive line in DJ Moore, and he got absolutely eaten alive. <laughs> and again, I'll do, we'll just continue to hammer home the fact that like build talent around uh, your organization and figure out the quarterback as it goes. And shit, you might build a good enough team where it's like, you know what, Baker Mayfield's a free agent. We'll bring him and see what we have. Sam Darnold's available for $10 million. Let's give him a shot. We have everything else covered. Yeah, and also what that what also that brings is is a winning culture too, because you actually have competitive dudes on the roster. Where you look at the Tampa Bay Bucks are such a great example. Is like these guys are Super Bowl champs, which is different than a lot of these other ones. But Devin White, uh, Mike Rita Evans, Vea. Godwin, Vea, Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, like these guys. There's a lot of pride, you know, where they I think it was I think it was white this week. It was like, yeah, everyone wrote us off because Tom was leaving and we're like, nah, this shit still runs through us. And it's like, yeah, it's because you actually believe in the boys around you and you're empowering Mayfield to be like, hey, just don't fuck up. You know, no big deal. Like if you do, it happens. We lose the game. But if you play your game, we'll play our game. We have a good enough team for success. And that's what you saw in Seattle last year, too, Matt, like. They had a good enough team. They struggled with Russ the year that they that he ended up his last year there, but they still had a decent foundation on defense, right? They had DK, they had Lockett. Um, their running back situation was whatever. Um, before Kenneth Walker, I, I forget my guy's name that always got. Oh, Chris Carson was there. He was solid, Rashad right? Penny. But always injured. Um, but you plug Geno Smith in. He does the right thing. Does his job. Makes a couple plays. They're a freaking playoff team. You know, now they're three and well, one. Even it's the crazy. Bucks, though, you know, I, I don't think you or I would say that Tom Brady was winning a lot of those games. Like Tom sure. Brady was helping them win. And sometimes, like I even look at against the Packers in the NFC title game, like yeah, it was the defense. It, Tom, they won it in spite of Tom Brady in that game. Sure, Tom, everyone remembers the throw to Miller, you know, down the sideline where that was the last coverage. good throw he had all game. But that was the last good throw all game, and it's like. Yeah. It's basically the same team as you highlighted, right? Like, um, I forget their their uh, linebacker's first name, but Smith. You're talking about a borderline Hall of Famer, especially Bucks fans will pound that drum that he's somebody that should you know, be considered for the Hall of Fame. Put that aside, he's a very, very, very good player. He's very productive still. He's older now, so you still have that veteran leadership, but he's from the Super Bowl team. Like, I agree with you. I think coming into this season, we didn't give this team enough credit because it had seemed like they took such a big step backwards last year, but maybe it was really just Tom taking a step backwards last year and the team really feeling the effects of that yeah. and being aware going into this year that's like, hey, we got to get ourselves back in, into the mental mentality and the groove of like we're competitive. And I think Baker's play has helped them also get back into like a competitive version of football. I totally agree. 
Um, before we get to some news around the sports world, one more team we definitely wanted to talk about was the Bills. Um, we talked about it last episode on the games coming up. Dolphins-Bills, biggest game of the weekend. Um, the immediate gut reaction was the Bills showed that they're still a dominant team in that division. Um, the Dolphins aren't bad. But we had talked about the Dolphins, if they went into Buffalo, dominated that game and won, we're like, holy shit, this team's going to win the title. <laughs> Maybe not win the title, but they're going to be the favorites in the AFC. There's going to be a problem stopping them. And um, they're going to be, you know, it's going to everything's going to run through Miami. Um, with the way that it transpired, I, I was pleasantly surprised to see Buffalo look as good as they did. I have been pretty, you and I, but I've definitely been pretty strong on I think they are fading. I think that their window may be closed. Um, after seeing that yesterday or on Sunday, whatever, um, I was wrong. And I actually saw something from Josh Allen and the Bills offense I haven't seen in a long time. Consistency. They're really, really getting James Cook involved, Matt. And you know what they did? I think they're listening to the pod because the roster construction in that offensive line nails. And they're finding a great counterbalance between using Josh Allen's legs, arms, and now James Cook to stay balanced on offense, and it's working. You know, I didn't get a chance to watch this game, and I was really disappointed by that. Um, but I'll tell you this. I, I agree with everything you said. The only problem is none of it matters because, yet again, they've lost Tredavious White for the season. Oh, my God. And I, um, and I and I'm joking, of course, that like none of it matters. But like yet again, I mean, Tredavious before he tore the ACL was like, you know, on the same trajectory, if not better than uh, Jair. And when he tore the, the ACL, we were like, oh, it's a huge loss. Like it's, it's not going to be talked about enough, but yet again, here we are in 2023 tears the Achilles. And it's like, how many more times are we going to have to talk about a huge devastating bills injury that like changes the course of their season after probably the most consistent victory that we've seen from them since they went up against the chiefs in that playoff game and lost. I mean, this was an absolute dominating performance against arguably a top five NFL team. They came in there and they, they showed, showcased all their abilities. And that's the issue I have with this team is the consistency. You cannot show up week one against the Jets and lose the way they <laughs> lost. Perform the way you performed and, you know, and commit turnover after turnover and poor judgment after poor judgment. And then come and play Miami at home and beat the shit out of them. And that's yeah. been, I think that's been the, the narrative for the Bills for the last three or four years now. It's just like, what is lacking in that consistency? I don't necessarily know what it is. I don't know if it's the game plan. I don't know if it's head coach. I don't know if it's the mentality that Josh Allen has. Um, you know, I know that Stefan Diggs is a diva, but his frustration for what is now three years, there has to be something to it. He has to see something within this team where he's just constantly frustrated and this past game, it's like this is this is the benchmark for how you need to be held accountable on a week to week basis. And I agree with you, though. I think we kind of we were writing them off quite a bit. Um, this performance has shown that they're every bit of a title contender as anyone else. I think the only team that I'm truly writing off is the Bengals now. Um, yeah, the Bills are right back in 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 that contenders classification for me. Yeah, I, f I figured we could wait on the Bengals um, maybe for next week or the week after. I actually didn't, uh, side note, sorry, listener, like get to clipping out the stuff that I wanted to from our last episode about Zach Taylor. 
Um, I feel like our point is just even hammering home more true about the mismanagement of Joe Burrow and all that stuff. Uh, I just hope he doesn't get seriously injured. And, and that's all I have to say on that. I'm writing them off as well. They're dead. Their season's over. T Higgins, I think, got a broken rib. Um, but yeah, man, Josh Allen, it's it's all on him for the Buffalo Bills. It's this is it for them, though. Like, I, I still believe this is it as far as window is concerned. If they don't do it, I think Stefan Diggs is going to ask out of town. And I think it'll be because Josh Allen was still making some of those in quotes, rookie mistakes and that lack of maturity and decision making. Um, they got a game this weekend in London against the Jaguars. And then I just looked, they have a game Sunday night against the giants the week after. If I see this consistency now for five weeks and week one was kind of a fluke, uh, I might be all in. Well, and, and the only the only trouble in my opinion with this is that this week in London is that, is, is that stuff knows <laughs> is that stuff knows um, <laughs> this week in London is a very difficult game. You're going to what is arguably the Jacksonville Jaguars' new home. <laughs> Would have thought that. Um, and London games are always a little bit wacky, you know. So, like we we're talking about getting them to be more consistent. This is one of the most inconsistent things you can do is send a team to London. You have the time switch, obviously, and then you're playing against Jacksonville, where even with jokes aside, they play very, very well in London. So we'll we'll know more from the team, but I think the last really big takeaway I have is that Josh Allen, more and more and more in his career, is proving to be, I think, a very similar comp to Brett Favre. <laughs> and it's exciting, and it's also incredibly frustrating because at any given Sunday, he can absolutely go out and beat the other team, no matter who they are, and then also any given Sunday, he can go and lose the game to any NFL team, no matter who they are. And that was incredibly riveting, like riveting for us as Packer fans, because it's Green Bay. But like this Bills team and Stefan Diggs, like how long can they ensue with having a quarterback back like that? I think that's for me why this is the season. Like this is the season where they get to really make a shot at it because if he loses them another playoff game or he loses them enough games in the regular season where they don't have momentum going into the playoffs, a lot of these players as well as coaching staff are going to be really wondering if they can get behind this roster moving forward. And yeah, it's just curious. I'm curious to see how that plays out. Super curious. And that's how it's going to be with all these AFC quarterbacks, bro. Like you think of the same thing for Lamar Jackson, right? It's the clock is ticking. Like one of these guys needs to get over the hump. Um, if it ends up being Kansas City again, it's just a completely different. We're we're talking. I don't want to get this hardcore. But we're talking a Michael Jordan type of run here out of Mahomes and the Chiefs, where we look back like we do on the greats of the '90s and be like, "Damn, can you believe Charles never got one?" Right? Damn, can you believe he took down? Um, can, can you believe he took down Patrick Ewan in the Knicks all those times? Those guys didn't even get to the title. Uh, Reggie Miller, so on and so forth, right? Like all these teams in the East back when Jordan was playing, all these legendary players breaking records, but for some reason just couldn't get past Chicago. I hope we don't get there because I want to see Lamar succeed. I want to see Josh Allen succeed. I want to see someone else that we're not even really actively discussing. Maybe it's Tua succeed and get there too. But Zach Wilson. <laughs> no, nah, Zach's not quite there yet. 
Like I, I want to see one of these other teams make it out. I'm I'm starting to get anti Chiefs just because I, I want to see some a little some a little more parity, and that's just what happens when you're this good for five straight years, like the Chiefs have been, right? Like, yeah, you turn a little into bit the of, Golden State Warriors. Yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of like I am rooting for the Jets against you guys on Monday night or whatever night they played Sunday night because I'm actually just sick of seeing you win, and that's that's a sign of respect in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, well, no, and I, I agree with that. And you're right; history will tell. Um, they will tell the narrative, and I think we'll look back when we're old and gray, and we're going to talk about how like Patrick had to play Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, right? He had for a couple seasons an aging Russell Wilson in that division. It was Derek Carr for a number of years with the Raiders. With even though we look at him with kind of poo poo, but then you had the elite levels of the Joe Burrows and the Josh Allen's, right? Tom and you just mentioned a great name, Tom Brady, but also Tua Tagovailoa. Like Tua is starting to show his case himself as a very good quarterback, and will probably for a number of years. Like all of these players are in the AFL. Like the, the like they have to. What did I say? AFL again. Sorry, <laughs> very sick. Yes. Yeah, um, <laughs> but you get you get the point. I'm trying to pass along for the narrative here is like we look at Aaron Rodgers for his string of dominance in the. Um, in the NFC North and just the NFC in general. And like, he didn't really have to go up against seven players that may be Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is doing it. And that's in itself very impressive. All right. So we're going to wrap it up here pretty soon. We're just going to get to something quick. I wanted to touch on because it was literally the day we produced podcast last week. Uh, Dame Lillard to the Bucks. Uh, if you are watching these videos or you've seen any of our clips, I got a picture of Giannis behind me. I went to the title. Matt, it's from Milwaukee. I was born there. It's our team. Um, Pretty point blank take from me is that Damian Lillard might change the trajectory of Giannis's entire legacy. Uh, Giannis will never and has not played with a guy as dominant as Damian Lillard offensively. I think the swap for Dame's offense to Drew Holiday's defense isn't even close. The Bucks needed a guy that can go get a bucket for them down the stretch when the game matters the most. That is not a knock on Giannis. That is just the truth based on his style of play. And the Bucks not only went and got that, they were able to keep their second best score with Chris Middleton. Unfortunately, had to lose Drew Holiday. And I genuinely think this next three to four year window might be the best brand of Milwaukee Bucks, Bucks basketball we'll see for our lifetime. And this is the opportunity for them to not only get back to the title, but win one, if not multiple, as long as everyone stays healthy. Um, the time is now for Milwaukee, Giannis and the Bucks. Just honestly, as a fan, an unbelievable day to see that text come through and see Twitter that Dame Lillard is coming to the Bucks. This is stuff that you and I, Matt, being Milwaukee fans, have honestly, I do not want to exaggerate this. I'm 30 years old. This is what I've waited my whole life for, for a team that I love to have this type of star power. Like, that is how big of a deal Dame Lillard to the Bucks is to me. Well, and and I think, I think you said it perfectly, that this is something that changes the course of Giannis's um, trajectory in regards to his career because... Well, just a couple days earlier slash a week earlier, he has the comments come out where, you know, like he's going to go and play basketball where he feels like he has the chance to win a title. And I and I understand that. And I also approve that. We've said that for years. After you've won the title, you have the right now to go wherever you want. Well, you have a 33-year-old top five player in the league with you right now, locked into a contract, 
who only benefits your style of play, I don't know if there's anywhere else, Giannis, that you can sign. You go to Miami and you play with Jimmy Butler. Well, he's not as good as Dame Lillard. So that doesn't make sense, right? Can't really go to Boston. They don't have the money. We could go to team after team after team. I think when Giannis really has to think about it, he's going to have to think to himself, Milwaukee is the only place I'm going to play until Dame retires. And then at that point, again, Giannis, go wherever you want at that point because the franchise itself is 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 literally giving up the next 15-year window slash 10-year window for you to have Dame Willard. I had said to you the day it happened, I was really concerned about those pick swaps because they're not protected pick swaps. Um, and if Giannis and Dame are done in Milwaukee at that point, it's going to be a really bad team and those picks are going to matter. But again, if you win a championship, a you win one more championship, no one's going to give a shit. You win two. We're going to be praising those those teams as you know G League competitive because we're not going to care because there's three banners hanging in the rafters, and that's all that matters because this is a small market Milwaukee team. So I'm very excited for Dame. I am a little concerned that Drew ended up going to Boston. Um, I think Drew also being 33 years old has a lost a step. I think we saw that against Jimmy Butler in the playoffs. I think Dame will cook him in the playoffs. It's Dame at the end of the day, like he's again one of the best offensive players in the game. But I do think this makes Boston competitive. Um, and I think it really is, at least from, um, from from a basketball perspective, it is the Celtics, it is the Bucks. Those are the two teams that are going to be really, really, really pushing uh, in that conference. And that's huge for both of those teams because all season long, it's going to be the juggernaut like showdown in the conference finals of Boston-Milwaukee. Oh, 100%. And, and that's I'm glad you touched on that because that was the last thing I wanted to bring up was uh, unfortunately, losing Drew in Portland immediately saying, no, we're trading him um, was I knew he was going to Miami or Boston 100 yep. percent, because if you're one of the top do- or Philly, if you're one of those teams, those are the top dogs, right? Boston, definitely a tier above them with or without Drew Holiday. Um, you knew they were going to make the move. They make the move for Drew Holiday. Uh, in my opinion, top to bottom now with Porzingis, I think their roster is a little bit better yep. than Milwaukee. If I'm going to be as unbiased as I possibly can about this, right? Holiday at the one Brown Tatum, um, Derek white and Porzingis pretty nice. The one pro for Milwaukee is now they actually don't have anyone to guard Giannis, which is huge. Um, but I think for basketball nation here, and obviously you're in my fandom is I am praying that we get an Eastern conference finals of a healthy Bucks for a healthy Celtics because that could go down as one of the greatest series in history. Jason Tatum, Dame Lillard, Giannis, like it's like Drew Holiday, the guy they got rid of for him. Like it just, I can just see it already. Well, that's not going to happen, Matt, because Porzingis can't stay healthy to save his life. Um, he did good last year. I think he played almost 65, almost 70 games last year. So uh, we'll see. I agree with you. I mean, I, I feel like certain they lost, to be hurt this year. Then they, they lost. They lost Bob Williams. They lost. Um, they lost uh, Brogdon, and they lost Marcus Smart as well in free it's agency. A di- it's a different team. Let's be it's honest. It's a different team. Right? Like, it's a different team, but they still have when he's on a top ten, almost top five guy in Tatum. You know, this like is it, also, it's, it's interesting. Uh, We're just what's fully more interesting fully back. You know, is we did the who would you rather just four or five months ago yeah in the playoffs yeah jalen and um and brown yeah and i think the dame acquisition 
is the I think we had one other team. I think we had Murray and Jokic as like we would rather, right? Yeah, because we, was... we even took them over Giannis and Chris Middleton. And Chris Middleton. But now yeah. that it's Giannis and Dame, it's like I think I would I'm taking Giannis and Dame Same. over Brown and, and Tatum. But it was like we had broken it, it down so evidently where it was like, damn, like Oh, and we had we had Booker and Katie over them as well, which I'd still it's close, but I think I'd still lean Booker Katie. It's yeah, very close too. though. Yeah. Yeah, I would too. Uh, last takeaway from this, though, Matt, is I think this gives Chris the opportunity to get back into the role that he was comfortable in. I think this gives him the ability to just kind of be the shooter, the slasher, the guy that's the third yeah. option and not have the pressure on him because, God, we don't have anybody else on this team that can make a bucket. And Drew goes so hot and cold, right? I mean, Drew helped win that championship. Drew in the playoffs was cold, but when he was hot, he was winning basketball games on offense yeah. as well as defense. But when he was cold, it was like, Chris, you have no choice but to go out there and drop 30 tonight. We have to have you drop 25 to 30 points. Otherwise, we lose this game. And now it can be like, hey, Chris, whether you put up 20 or you put up 30, it doesn't so much matter. Just make sure that you're effective and you're you're producing efficiently. This could be massive for Chris Middleton, kind of altering the course and the trajectory of his career as well. Because I, I feel like a lot of the injuries he incurred was because he was putting so much stress on himself and his body trying to be something he wasn't. Um, he is also just more or less an injury-prone player. I think that's kind of dating all the way back to when we got him from Detroit. But I think overall, this is great for basketball. It's fantastic for Milwaukee. And like you said, it could lead to one of the greatest uh, Eastern Conference finals that we've seen in recent memory. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. Um, last thing I wanted to put in was just, uh, it's going to be a lot shorter than we were initially planned. Cause you're not feeling good. I just want to get your two cents. We obviously talked briefly about it in the open brewers lost, but MLB playoffs kicked off tonight, the night that we're recording this podcast. Um, just quick, I guess, projection takeaways. And then I'd love to hear who you think is going to make it into the world series. Yeah, I mean, I was very surprised to see Minnesota win today. I think they that was win. crazy. Three uh, one. Yeah, three yeah. one. Three one two one. Three and, one. And um, I'll tell you right now, people are really underselling that Minnesota team. I myself included. The difference right now is Royce Lewis is an absolute megastar if he can stay healthy. The kid has torn his ACL twice um, and is yet back and playing at an elite level. And they're playing at home. And then we saw it today kind of broadcast with the Rays uh, attendance at 19,000. And then Minnesota completely sold out and absolutely rocking. Like Minnesota's at home. This is going to be a challenging task for the Blue Jays. Also down a game. Their best pitcher, Gosman, going today. Like Minnesota could make a little run here. And I think Carlos Correa said it best. You know, we all have had our opinions about Correa over the last half decade but he said it he said put regular season numbers aside but none of that matters right now all that matters is winning baseball games and moving forward i think that's the truth another surprise today texas rangers having a very dominant performance against the rays 4-0 that was cool to see i will have a better gauge i think going into next round than i do right now but i kind of wrote the rangers off as dead especially after losing the, the division lead and falling to the wild card I think they're anything but dead. I thought the Twins were going to get absolutely annihilated by the Blue Jays. Don't feel that way anymore. And I felt like the Brewers, with uh, a healthy Brandon Woodruff, had a really good shot of possibly making a World Series run. Now that he's hurt, I don't know that they make it out of the wild card, and I don't think they do. So a lot is already changing for me. Um, but I'm, again, highlighting Royce Lewis as a player to watch this postseason because if the Twins make a run, you're going to see that star elevated uh, round after round. Are we looking at, like... I mean, 
it'd be unbelievable if they went to the World Series, uh, the NL, uh, or excuse me, the AL. But um, say they get to the to the ALCS, are we looking at a Juan Soto type of run out of this kid? The year Juan Soto was on the Nationals, or are we looking at that type of stardom for them to get to that that far in the playoffs? Or is he is Juan Soto on a on a much different level? Injuries aside. Well, the hard thing is we we just haven't seen enough. Um, we haven't seen enough Royce Lewis to really know because gotcha. the injuries have just really derailed any kind of development that where we have had consistent extended periods of time of showcase to him. I mean, the home run today, I think it was four or five grand slams this season. He had he has a knack for the dramatic. He has that like clutch gene that everyone looks for in a player, and he's a straight up gamer. I think he's also a former first overall pick, if I remember correctly. So. Talent has always been there, but everyone wrote Minnesota off because it's like Buxton's always hurt, right? Like there's a lot of inconsistency from the pitching rotation. You've had Joe Ryan pitch really, really well at times this season. You've also had like kind of major setbacks from him as well in regards to his pitch uh, pitch mix. But um, I'm excited to watch Minnesota. I, I'm excited to watch all these teams. I think Texas is a very exciting team. Corey Seager's injury and like that will probably nag him in the playoffs. Um uh, the Philadelphia and Bryce Harper and the Kyle Schwarber experience like this wild card round is very exciting. You have very exciting teams and narratives to follow, but it's also only three games. So like by the time we record next week, Minnesota could be out of it. Texas could lose right. two straight. Like all of this doesn't so much matter because by Thursday, we will know who's moving on and who's not. Yeah, I agree. Okay, cool. Well, let's wrap it up. Let's get those antibiotics in you and get that holistic medicine. Um, <laughs> I will see you in Vegas Sunday. Maybe we'll talk about maybe we'll bring uh maybe I'll bring my my mic or something. We could do something Sunday night or Monday before the Packer game, maybe. But um listeners, we'll see you guys. You can find our clips, us on social at Pitcher Bet Pod. We'll see you guys next week. Later, guys. Thank you.